from the center of the universe and the home of your Grey Cup champion, Toronto Argonauts. It's the X's and Argos podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos post-game reaction podcast brought to you by Something in the Water Brewing. My name is Ben Grant, joined as always by JB as the Toronto Argonauts. Hang on, 35-27 to beat the Montreal Alouettes and remain undefeated and on top of the East Division. JB, this is the first time the Argos have been 4-0 since 1983, a year they won the Grey Cup. And in fact, the last time they were 3-0 even, they won the Grey Cup that year too. So it bodes well getting off to a start like this. But I think the biggest thing, something we alluded to being a possibility in our pregame walkthrough this week, is that... Not only are the Argos 4-0 by winning this game today, the Alouettes drop to below 500 along with the rest of the East Division. So they've got a huge cushion now, and I think they're in a great spot uh, heading into a, a tough stretch coming up. Yeah, you know, anytime you win a division game, um, I think that you're you're going to be in good shape. Yeah, and it's, it's just the fact that because if Montreal wins this game, they're actually tied with the Argos in points at that stage. They have Argos had to have a game in hand, but it would have been pretty tight. So we'll go through it. We'll talk about our thoughts and and players of the game, plays of the game. And there were a number to choose from. But before I do, I just want to talk briefly about something in the water brewing. I've got Longboat on the go here, and I've been waiting so long for Longboat to be available in cans. We've had our X's and Argos secret tap. At uh, set up at something in the water in Liberty Village, but now we've got Longboat in cans. You can go and buy them from the Liberty Village location, just steps away from the Argos practice facility at Lamport. So if you're going down to check out a practice, you can drop by there after practice, grab yourself a drink, maybe pick up some Longboat to bring home. And the reason why we love Longboat is it is dedicated to fans of the Double Blue. You've got Colonel Troutman. There, the, uh, the the mascot on the front wearing his blue football helmet, the X's and O's all over the can. It is a gorgeous can. It's a terrific beer. Make sure you pick some up. Okay, JB, let's let's get into, a, a, I guess, a tale of two halves. It was a defensive battle, a pretty feisty game in that first half, and then things just opened up in the second half. What you, what'd you make of the flow of the game? What'd you make of this game, I guess, overall? Uh, yeah, it was kind of a weird game. The first half was very kind of cagey. And, um, you know, I think that Montreal came out with a game plan to, uh, you know, to screen Toronto to death. And Toronto was sort of dealing with that. With that. And uh, they were having some success running with Stanback. So, I, th- I, you know, I think Montreal kind of felt good. But, it, you know, watching it, it just felt more like... Toronto was not finishing on the plays that they needed to finish on. Uh, even even when Montreal took the lead right at the end with a ridiculous play, um, it, it felt like it was Toronto's game. It did not feel like Montreal was better than Toronto. So it was kind of a weird, I don't know, it's hard to explain it. It just, it was a kind of cagey first half. And then the second half largely took off where I think Toronto uh, ended up sort of dominating that second half and, and Montreal somehow stayed in the game, but didn't feel like they stayed in the game. Yeah, I know what you're saying. It, it's hard to describe. Even after that first quarter, Toronto's up 7 nothing, but the stats at that stage were so lopsided. And Montreal was right in that game. They ended up kicking a field goal uh, a few plays into the, the second quarter. And here you have a four-point game, and it just felt like Toronto had dominated in, in every way. But Montreal was able to take advantage of every opportunity, it felt like. And then one of the biggest problems Toronto had was penalties. Every it, it felt like every time the Argos could have gotten the Alouettes off the field, there was a penalty for something. And then on a lot of big Argo plays, there was an A.J. Olette run with a, with a beautiful uh, leap over a defender that got called back for a hold. It just felt like they they found so many different ways to shoot themselves in the foot. And Montreal just didn't do that. They they weren't their own worst enemy. And they they pulled some some rabbits out of some hats 
Uh, so some of those, I, I don't know what to make of those. Like, how do you, how upset do you get at a play where it's it's just sort of a ridiculous series of events and somehow a guy catches the ball down the field? Like, I, I don't know what to do with that, how angry you get at the defense for giving up plays that just couldn't possibly happen ever again. Yeah, I mean, you know, you have the two guys running to the same spot and then one guy steals the ball away from the other guy. The other one, there's a clear sack, and they, Pajardo's able to bend out of it. Um, I don't know. It did. It didn't feel like like Montreal had kind of earned those touchdowns, so to speak. I, I, you know, it, I mean, Edmonton put up 32. It, it it felt more like the Edmonton game than anything, in my opinion. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Like some of those. Some of those plays and those two touchdowns that you highlighted are just things that you just don't see happen. So that first one, you've got the receivers on either side running post routes. Somebody's off. Something's wrong in that play because you don't usually have you don't you don't want your your slot receivers on either side to collide into each other. But that's what happened. You had Sneed and Keon Julian Grant like colliding together in the back of the end zone. And I think Tavares was there and, and Amos is there. There's a big party in the back of the end zone. Somehow Sneed came down with it. And then the other one, Cody Forjardo is like from where I was, I like I thought I thought it, the play was over. It was a sack. And Mike Hogan, who's doing the play-by-play with me, he called it as a sack because Arimolade had Fajardo wrapped up in the pocket. And I didn't see how he escaped. Somehow he got out. And then threw a touchdown pass, and it was it was third yeah. down too. That was that was third and goal from the five or something like that. Was that the was that the play? I can't even keep track of all the all the ridiculousness. No, so, it, it, it it it. I mean, look, Montreal. Give them the credit. I mean, I think Montreal played a good game and think they game planned really well uh, against Toronto. Um, it just it just didn't. It didn't feel like they were going to... At no point did I was I worried that Toronto wasn't going to win the game. Yeah, I didn't really feel like that either. It just felt like Toronto was... It honestly felt like... And I know it's just an eight-point game, and I, I'm not trying to be a homer on this, but it felt like Toronto was a much better team from start to finish. It's just that they... Yeah, they shot themselves in the foot. They didn't take advantage of some opportunities, but... After all that, they still were the better team. And you look at like look at some of the stats too. Like Chad Kelly ends up twenty-one of twenty-five. What's that? Eighty-four percent completion rate, three hundred and fifty-one yards, three touchdowns. He added another thirteen yards rushing. AJ Olette, ninety-five yards rushing. These are these are good stats that the Argos came up with. They spread the ball around extremely well. You had what, nine different receivers involved? Unger was 72 yards and and one amazing touchdown catch that was bettered by DeMonte Coxey's touchdown catch. Like, it was it was such a good game for the Argos. It was sort of the defense that got unlucky on a few occasions. Now, is that a is that a point of concern? They, they probably could have had 10 sacks. They ended up with four. Fajardo kept finding a way to slip out, break arm tackles. Is that a concern of yours that Fajardo was able to make guys miss in the in in the backfield? No, I, he, look, he's really strong. We talked about it. He he is a um, he is a far more mobile quarterback than people give him um, give him credit for. You know, he he is fast. Like, I mean, fast is not the right word, but he he is. Um, you know, he's a very good athlete and he is able to spin out of plays and he is really strong on his feet. And, you know, there's no other quarterback currently uh, in the league that can really do that. Uh, maybe maybe Vernon Adams, but he who's faster, but I, I don't think necessarily is able to stay on his feet. He's just a hard guy to tackle. So, you know, they just have to know that going in that you you've got to make sure that you team tackle. And you wrap up because he's going to spin out and try and pull some ridiculous play. But that's not that's not something that's going to come up again. Just next time we play Montreal. I felt sick for Aramalade after that play. You just saw the anguish on his face because he knows. like, Because not only did he miss the sack, it was a game-tying touchdown that resulted on a third-down gamble. 
And so if he just wraps them up, the, the Argos have the ball. They're up seven, uh, fourth quarter, and instead it's a tie game again. And he just looked like, he just looked sick. So uh, I, I was, I felt for him there because it was just one of those weird plays. I think it puts, I think it's tough on defensive linemen who every week see a fellow defensive lineman flagged for uh, hitting the quarterback late or hitting the quarterback too aggressively, landing on the quarterback, throwing the quarterback to the ground. There's so many ways you can be penalized for hitting the quarterback. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. I do think the league needs to protect quarterbacks. I need. I think they need to protect everybody, but quarterbacks are in a position of vulnerability. There should be those rules in place. But it's tough on a defensive line who are trying to sack the quarterback gently, trying to sack the quarterback in a way that isn't going to draw a flag. And we almost saw that backfire at the end of the game because Hendricks gets in on a sack. The play's blown dead actually pretty early. And then Hendricks kind of throws him a little bit after the whistle. I can't blame Hendricks for the little throw, although I kind of thought we might see a flag there. I think one of the reasons you didn't is because Frigardo did this absurd dive to the ground afterwards, uh, like like he'd been shot. And <laughs> no and full just, credit to the referees for not. Yeah, well, the referees are looking at this. That. They're like, well, I can't throw a flag on on this like foolishness. But yeah, I thought I thought one might come out there. Let's talk about a couple a couple performances and a couple plays. So let's go back to the opening drive. That was a thing of beauty. The not just the it wasn't so much the play call. It wasn't so much X's and O's. I thought that that first drive from Chad Kelly was really close to perfect. The opening play, he ends up scrambling for a nine yard gain because there wasn't anything there. And I was really happy to see it. You had great protection. He bought himself some time, looked downfield didn't force it. There just wasn't anything available. And so he took smart yards and got close to a first down. Then he rifles one in for Coxie, who makes an amazing catch, gets his legs taken out from under him, does a backward somersault, hangs onto the ball, and then delivers a strike to Devaris Daniels in between the corner and the safety who was coming over to help. Devaris makes a heck of a play too, not just to catch the ball, but to hang on to it after just getting nailed at the at the one yard line. And then they were able to check Kelly's able to sneak it in for the touchdown. It was it was a, a great opening drive. And from that moment, I just kind of felt like, oh, okay, the Argos are gonna run away with this. They're on. But then they disappeared. Like, where did they go? What happened to the the Argos in that first half? How come they could only generate that one scoring drive in, in the entire first half and, and end up trailing at the end of the half? Yeah, I'd, I, it's good. I mean, it's it's a great question. It 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 didn't look like um, it it didn't look like Montreal was doing anything um, terribly exotic. It just seemed to be, um, you know, that they came out a little flat which is, of course, something we talked about maybe coming off the bye week. And they just were not firing, um, you know, on all on all cylinders on that offense in the first half. Um, yeah, it, it, it's a, it was a weird first half. You know, I think the bad pick by Kelly kind of took a bit of the steam out of the offense. Um, a couple of ridiculous plays, you know, <laughs> hurt the defense, you know, because really Toronto should probably – you know, Montreal should not score that touchdown at the end of the half. So it should have felt a little more comfortable going into half. Let's talk about that Chad Kelly interception. His, is, was that his only mistake of the entire night? Yeah. I mean, his statistics are through the roof. Like, it, it makes my uh, yardage bet heart uh, warm. Um, he, you know, he threw for 350 um 80% or over 80% completion percentage three touchdowns that one bad pick i mean you know to to throw a bad pick like that and be able to just carry on like you know i mean the greatest quarterback who ever was in a different league um often would throw a single pick and and that was it and you you know and then would go on to be you know to be unstoppable so I think if if Brady can throw the occasional pick, I don't mind if Chad Kelly throws the occasional pick. Oh, sorry, I thought you were talking about Joe Montana. Um, so, 
the yeah the the short memory thing is is awesome we've seen that from chad kelly before too he threw a pick earlier in the season immediately rebounded with a couple of great plays and a touchdown drive and so i wasn't too worried about that part of it but the pick was a bit mystifying and i know we're going to get that from chad kelly sometimes but he's actually played he is still the gunslinger but he hasn't made a lot of like foolish decisions. It just hasn't really happened. That one was one though. That was just a, I don't know what he was thinking. He was rolling out to his right. He threw back across his body, which I, and I know people will say, well, that's how he threw the touchdown pass to Devaris against BC. Yeah, but it wasn't all the way across. It was only like a few yards back and Devaris was standing on his own. This was a ball that was thrown like all the way back across the field. There were, there were three alouettes around I don't remember who the receiver was, but there was no chance of the Argos coming away with the ball. And he's clearly trying to make a play out of nothing, but that was definitely uh, an occasion where you just want to throw it away, um, you know, or, or run something. You can't throw it up there like that. It was a, it was a terrible pick. It's, it's the worst pick I've, I've seen him throw, but then he rebounded and followed that up with the, yeah. the best game he's played as an Argonaut, right? Like this, I don't think there's anything close to this. No, it, I, I'm I'm totally fine with it because, it, it, you know, if you have a pick because he doesn't pick up the linebacker or he doesn't see the safety, that would be a little more concerning. Um, you know, he he was feeling himself and he thought he thought he could throw a miracle ball, um, you know, and that that was it. So like that's that's a very fixable mistake. You know, I mean, not every interception is born the same, and that that type of interception is very is very easily fixed so it didn't you know of course you don't like to see it but it it didn't bother me it wasn't it wasn't an interception inside our own red zone it wasn't you know i mean it was just a bad young energetic mistake yeah and uh, again if there's one of those a game but but on the other side of it you've got three passing touchdowns and 351 like that's yeah that's fine yeah, yeah for, no, it, it's like it's yeah ridiculous to not think occasionally a young gunslinger is going to try and gunsling. It was kind of interesting to see David Unger step up as the guy, <laughs> Coxie also. But we've talked about how you never know. It's the receiver roulette, like who is going to be the guy. It was David Ungerer today, out of nowhere. He wasn't even starting. He's the he's the back, backup Z receiver of all receivers. Like that's Z is the typically in a in a base formation is the guy furthest away from the quarterback, the least likely to receive targets, and he's backing up at that position, and yet ends up with seventy two yards, two touchdowns, and and a heck of a game. Did you have David Unger on your bingo card for for a two touchdown game? No, I mean I don't I don't understand. Yeah, I mean he's he's really been a, a pleasant surprise. I I mean it was a weird like fight between the two David Ungers of, you know, Montreal's need and our Unger <laughs> and who would you know who would score more touchdowns. So it was kind of a weird number three wide receiver game. Uh but he you know, he he's shown that he can get open. He's shown that he can catch the ball when given an opportunity. I, you know, I'd like to see them, you know, use him, use him more often because you don't catch two touchdowns in the CFL by accident. One of them was on a bit of a bust. The, the, la- the second one, uh, it, it looked like Ento, the, the corner just kind of let him go. I think he got baited in by the out route that was breaking in front of him. But that that first one is was such a such a headsy touchdown catch because he was running to the I, I have to explain this better than I'm seeing it in my head. There's only one end zone in the entire CFL that is cut off uh, because of the track in Montreal around Percival Molson uh, Stadium around that field. The end zone is sort of diamond shaped on the corner so you're missing a corner of of the end zones on both sides edmonton used to be like that it isn't like that now the 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 turf isn't set up that way so this is the only place in the cfl and as Ungerer is coming across the end zone he had the awareness that while the ball is in the air he does a quick check to see where he's on the field just sort of tiptoes actually gets two feet in bounds and catches the ball just before going out but the awareness level on that play was huge because i think a lot of receivers 
aren't aware of the fact that they're only in the end, the one end zone in the CFL that doesn't have that corner and probably catch that ball out of bounds. So I thought that was a massive play from him. He had a couple of really nice blocks too, blocking for, for quick screens for other guys. All in all, he played a really nice game. Yeah, he, I mean, he, he deserves reps and looks. You know, he really does. Can we talk about the special teams play before we get into some of those other highlights? Because there's some good and bad here. The the good was I thought most of the time the coverage units were pretty good. I thought Haggerty was punting the ball really nicely. They had a kind of clever onside punt, uh, which it didn't work out, but it came pretty close to working out. If it wasn't for a very heads up play by DeCroix, I think would probably have been recovered by Pickett. Um, they had some neat stuff there. I did not care for the reverse and the two fake reverses that we saw in this game. Uh, what did you make of them? Uh, no, no, I didn't. I, I, it, it felt a little desperate. I think, it, in my opinion, they should just be more zen about the return game. It's not that good. It's not going to be that good. You know, catch the ball. Don't turn over the ball. That you have a good offense, go from there and be happy with the strengths that your team has. Don't get into that reverse and fake reverse stuff. You're gonna you, you, there's a reason teams don't run it. You're gonna, you know, you're going to you're gonna end up dropping the ball or turning over the ball or somebody makes a mistake and reads it the wrong way, what have you. Um, you know, I I don't no thank you for all of that stuff. I like I did like the onside uh I did like the the attempt at uh, at the return of being onside, the onside punt. I thought that was a nice wrinkle, but no no reverse fake reverse for me. It uh, feels a little you can't you can't manufacture it. Just it's okay. We're not, we're not good at returning. I think we sh- we should just move on. The one thing I like about these plays, and actually I'm with you. I like the 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 onside punt. I think is actually kind of fun. But what I like about this collection of things from the onside punt to the reverses on kickoffs and punts, it's going to force teams going forward to review that. It forces every team for the rest of the season. This is not just like for next week. Every special teams coordinator now has to spend time for the rest of the year just reminding their units to look out for these things. And that takes away special teams reps. It takes away special teams time for stuff that the arrows probably won't run again. And so that part of it, I do like, I think is, is interesting. The onside punt thing, you know, those things, again, there's, there's always a place for that to sneak back in, but uh, I wouldn't expect to see any of those things next week. And yet I bet you Hamilton will spend time this week prepping for those, for those very things they have to, because <laughs> the coordinator's not doing their job if they don't. Yeah, Maybe. You don't think that they don't think they're not going to you're not going to mention it. You don't think Hamilton's special teams coordinator is not going to bring up the fact that Toronto had an onside punt and three reverses. Yeah, I think I think you look for the onside punt for sure. But I I don't know. I think the reverse stuff is pretty easy to it's pretty easy to, to handle. But where it benefits you is Toronto has struggled with the return game like we talked about. This forces guys to really maintain their their field with dis- discipline. It 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 forces guys to especially like contain and guys on the outside to avoid crashing down and narrowing that field. It may open up some lanes for leak going forward. I wouldn't be surprised if this results in a couple of long returns from leak next week because everyone remains so spread out in their lanes, but not collapsing on the ball like like we've seen as as guys come in and and take advantage of the fact. Yeah, that I mean Toronto's- maybe that's your hope. Your hope is you you slow down a little bit, but I don't know. It's just so dangerous running those reverses. You're going to end up dropping the ball. Um, you know, I just think risk reward. No, no, thank you. There's one that the referee got in the way of, which was fortunately a fake reverse, because if that's if the reverse call was on the mesh point where that ball would have been exchanged actually had the referee between I think it was Leek and Ungerer on that play. And I just had visions as that was being set up. I thought, oh no, he's going to he's gonna pitch the ball back. It's going to go off the referee and that's a live football. But uh, that was, yeah, that was uh, a little bit of a nerve wracking moment. Also, how about 
leak mishandling a, a punt and out of Baboy recovering. We haven't really seen that from him. He's been he's been pretty sure-handed and and steady back there. That seemed out of character to drop a punt. And that could have been a, a huge game changer. Lucky out of uh, that out of Baboy was on on the scene to recover that one. Yeah, I mean to like again not to repeat, but I, I think you should focus on just simply uh, ball security and setting up and going. You know, you, you have a very good offense. We, you know, we don't need to return. You really don't. Like, so maybe maybe you want to work on one or two gadgets that you pull out at another point. But, uh, you know, just keep keep it simple. Keep the returners' minds on what they're doing and not feeling like they have to bust something. Just just accept that the blocking is not ideal and don't, you know, don't, don't just concentrate on catching the ball. Let's talk about that Coxy highlight. Will there be a better touchdown catch in the CFL this season than what we saw from DeMonte Coxy on that one-handed grab in the corner of the end zone tonight? Yeah, I mean, amazing. And then there was risk, you know, it looked like maybe they were going to take it away, but um, amazing play. You know, like some one-handed catches are better than others because sometimes, you know, guys reach with one hand when they can just as easily reach with two, but his other hand was fighting off the defensive back. Um, yeah. Was it, it wasn't even that high a ball. I mean, honestly, that, that is a spectacular catch. I mean, he probably does that, you know, two times out of 20. It was, yeah, it was nuts. He, he was fully extended and with that full extension while like diving, fully extended just as barely able to get his fingertips on the ball and somehow cradle it that was the the cradle and turn is the yeah, thing it's the not fact just that it, unbelievable the, the strength to hold on to that when he hit the ground oh yeah the focus of that too. yeah although weirdly he blew that other sideline pass <laughs> and i was like what catch the ball coaxy and then like two minutes later he shut me up I know. And then and he also bobbled one that hit him right in the hands a little bit later, too. Sometimes those the easy ones are, are tougher in some ways. But that was I, I think. Look, coach talked about it. I mean, he thought he was a star and he absolutely has been the, the you know, I think he's been the best Toronto wide receiver this season. Well, he certainly had two games where you can make that case. Like the the Toronto opener, he was the best receiver without a question. And this game is it him or Unger tonight? It's probably well, probably just based on that highlight touchdown catch. It's him, but yeah, and, and I mean he, that that one touchdown catch where Unger got his tiny little feet in was pretty good. Tiny little feet in. It's true. If he's got if he's got size thirteens, those he's out of bounds probably. Yeah, it's great look. I, I I'm all for the the tiny quick receiver. It, it gives you a it gives you a dimension the other guys don't have, and you want to you know I I like that idea of the wide receiver group being like a basketball team. And you want, you know, you want your center, you want your forwards, you want your point guard. I, I like that kind of analogy. Some people, uh, uh, you know, talk about when they look at wide receiver groups, and I agree. And I, I like him. I think he's a great point guard. I think he gives them something that the other guys don't, um, you know. And uh, and if, if teams have to watch out for Unger, I don't know what the heck you do. Yeah, it's true. You've got... This sort of by committee approach is is so dangerous because it means you can't really rely on, well, we, if we just shut down this guy, let's make this guy beat us. Because so many teams do that. They're like, okay, well, let's, if we take away Dalton Schoen, then what's Winnipeg going to do? Like, that's that's the mentality a lot of people have going in. You can't do that with Toronto. You can't just say, okay, well, let's shut down Devaris because that's, that's happened a couple of times this year. And someone else has stepped up to have a huge game. And you're not going in. You can't go into a game plan. Like if, if you go into a game plan thinking, well, we just got to stop Ungerer, you're in trouble. Like there's, you're going to get burned. And so you have to just sort of play straight up and allow Chad Kelly to choose his matchups and choose his moments. And he just, he found the open guy. I will say, and this, this is something that is going to bother me, I think probably for all of Chad Kelly's career, there are so many times where the check down is wide open. And as I'm watching the play develop, I'm like, oh, hit the drag route because it's there. It's wide open. He's going to catch it and run for 10 yards. And Kelly sees it and I can see him seeing it. 
And he's like, yeah, I think there's something better. <laughs> and instead, he'll throw 15 yards downfield. The guy catches it, but it's like a, a you know, tight, the tightest window where it could have been deflected or turned into a pick or whatever. But it ends up being the better play. But he never takes that check down. And so many times tonight, I'm like, oh, there's the check down. Nope, he found Unger in the end zone. That's that's just how he is. Let's uh, let's talk about the running game a little bit. Uh, struggling a little bit in the first half. It looked like Toronto was trying to run middle in the first half, and it looked like Montreal was hell-bent on not letting Toronto run those middle gaps. And so the nice adjustment they made was getting to the outside. They had a bunch of new plays that we haven't seen before. They had Andrew Harris lined up as a tight end and sort of leading uh, a sweep downfield. They had Andrew Harris out as... A, actually, they had AJ Olette out as a lead blocker for Andrew Harris on like a like a Green Bay sweep. Um, those were kind of neat looks, but I give a lot of credit to Coach Dinwiddie for having these things in the playbook. Stuff that they they probably weren't looking at bringing into today's game, but when they saw how Montreal was just stacking all those interior gaps, they're like, "We got to get the ball outside." And instead of just going to jet sweeps, which weren't working. They had these outside runs, outside sweeps, the fake inside, outside pitch. And I think especially with those two back looks was just kind of a a cool way to handle Montreal taking away the middle. Yeah, and what I really like about what Coach does there is that they, they don't give up on the run. You know, even even if a couple things don't work, or even if a couple of really big first downs don't go their way, they they you know we we've seen that the Argos are a very good second half running team. They 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 seem to wear teams down a little bit. The offensive line seems to have a gear for getting holes in the second half, and obviously Alette is a load in the second half. Um, but but they stay with it, you know. And a lot of teams don't. You look. You know, I don't know if Stan Beck got hurt, but I mean, really, Montreal just gave up on him. You know, because he, you know, they were singing hosannas on the TSN at halftime about, oh, Stan Beck is back and he's got 50 yards and oh, mama. And then that was it. Like, you go for lunch in the second half. So I know some of the. CFL stat sheets aren't correct right now. I know this because the I'm currently looking at the Argos turnovers for today, and it says they had 1,234 turnovers tonight mm-hmm. to, to Montreal's 647 turnovers. So I know some of these stats aren't right. They have Toronto's penalties and penalty yardage right now as 15 penalties for 157 oh, yards. No. And oh, I don't just, think that's a typo. Just dunking on my uh on my one thing i know what are you, what, you my one thing and, t- and shoving it right back down my throat <laughs> like, like oh yeah okay. jb how about 15 for 157 <laughs> right, okay, sure maybe I, next time i'll say i wish we had 20 penalties uh, i don't think you still want that. Won the game uh, uh, so yeah it's, oh it's, it's so many and montreal just with four montreal's got four penalties and toronto with 15 for 157 come on yeah like they don't need to be the lowest, right? We talked about, like, I don't, uh, it looks at teams are teams. Like, you don't, it's not like the team with the lowest penalties wins this, you know, the Great Cup every year. Uh, you know, it's not, it's not a, um, that huge of an indicator, but you, you know, you want to be middle of the pack. I mean, I, I don't think you want to be giving up 140 yards in, uh, in yards to, uh, uh, to, you know, free yards to your opponent and drives that should have been dead. You know, that, that game's probably over. Some of those Montreal drives die. They punt it back. Toronto scores. Toronto's up by 20. That's it. No CFL, what a game, TSN Tuesday replay. Um, the penalties are what kept the game close. 157 yards. Yeah. they. I mean, it kept... Bunch of times kept Montreal's drives alive where they're going to punt and Toronto probably scores and it's a blowout. So it it definitely is what kept the game. It's what kept Montreal in it, you know. So that, as I'm sure Coach Dinwiddie is aware, they're going to want to work on that. He's aware, yeah, because because it's not like they it's not like they didn't have a lot of penalty yardage last week, right? No, like, they're last in the league. Yeah, it's it's something that was a focal point because the last time 
last time the Argos took the field, they had 13 penalties for 107 yards, I think. Or no, it was, oh, no, that was, that was, it was 10 penalties for like 125 or something like that. Yeah. And they follow that up with yeah, even it, more. It keeps, it keeps bad teams alive. You know, that that's the biggest issue is not so much like, um, you know, not so much that you're not scoring the points, but it, it you know, it really, it really does, um, allow teams to you know to have kind of heartbreaking like you play great defense and everything's terrific and then you get a penalty and now they get another shot at it and it's tough to get yourself back up for that and yeah i I think it's gone from an interesting issue to an area that that needs to be fixed let's go to the defense a little bit there were a couple interesting things here so a scary moment when Adarius Pickett went down before the half. And I thought just, again, anytime you see a player go down and they're, they're bending the player's leg. Oh my God. I know. No, especially Pickett. You can just see the team. Like, Oh, you see coach. It's like, Oh Christ. Well, anytime, anytime coach Dinwiddie comes out, not just coming out onto the field, he had to walk about 80 yards to get down there. And so, you know, you're like, well, this is, this is this yeah, is maybe just, serious. I mean, Pickett. I think he's he is a he is a load supporting wall. And the thing is, it's it might be the only position aside from quarterback where the Argos don't really have a great answer to replace him. So when he went out, they brought in Jonathan Edward, who is listed as a backup safety, not a guy who is getting a ton of Sam reps. He doesn't really have Sam experience. Like the. The only other move, because what I thought in game, I was kind of thinking you'd see Robertson Daniel move there because he's played Sam. He was a Sam in Calgary. That sort of was his spot. Uh, he hasn't done that in Toronto, but but that's you know that's some experience he can lean on. But I guess Coach Mace not wanting to move multiple pieces around keeps the defense as is. Brings in Edward as a Sam, but I'm not I'm not that comfortable with Edward playing Sam. The the difference between he like Edward is, I think, is a great special teams player, but I think the difference between Pickett and Edward might be as big a difference as you have on the team between first and second, except for quarterback. Yeah, I mean, do you think Williams can play any same if he had to? I, I don't think so. I, I just think no. I think it's got to be a DB specifically. Like they have DBs, but they just don't have guys that are meant for that spot. I think, but I think that is going to be a point of emphasis. Like this week, I think you have to look around and say, you know, we got to get some. We got so many DBs here. You got Priester who's on his way back. At some point, Maurice Carnell is going to be there. I think those guys. I think Stiggers. I think all these guys are going to have to start getting reps. Because there's well, a spot I mean, I potentially think there. I mean, I know I don't want to pile too much on the guy and like, but you know, he he's he's built to be a sand. He had he had a pretty good game today, but with one major gaffe, the 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 fact that he saved the game at the end by jarring the ball loose uh, from Austin Mack um, got me to forgive him entirely, but. He had a bit of a gaffe after playing really well all game. He stuck to his coverage all night. He did have one penalty, but it was as a kind of a tough one. There, there was a play though, the fake quarterback sneak scenario where Quantas Stiggers was matched up in man with Sneed, and Stiggers just walked two steps forward, and Sneed just drew, just flew past him. And Deshaun Amos was the only guy left back there kind of playing center field. Couldn't get to Snead in time, but Stiggers did not even not even think for a moment, well, this is my guy here on a quarterback sneak. That's got to be my responsibility. And he's just got to be on top of that. So that's, you know, that's a rookie mistake. It's something you'll see, you'll see guys make early in their career. I don't think he'll do it again because you know it's going to be brought up in film this week. I'm sure he already got screamed at on the sideline for it, but that's that's got to be his man. Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, he's... He's a, a rookie's rookie, you know. He, he he's going to be there's going to be moments where he busts stuff like that because he didn't he, he didn't even play college ball. So you know it's it's a lot, but I really you know I really think he might you know there might be. I, don't know. I mean, Sam is tough because there's just there's a lot on your plate, so it's probably too much for him this year, but. 
And I hate to take Robertson Daniel away from from the halfbacks box. He's playing so well. Yeah, there. I, I agree with Coach. I don't think they will. I think they'll they'll probably try and coach somebody up to be the Sam. I, I think, think that's I think, I think that's the better. I think that's the better call. I think Carnell for when he comes back. Like there's a you know there's still a little while though. Like Carnell's expected back in August. I think he's he might be the guy for it, but I don't know that they have a guy to sort of bridge that time because we're still talking about a month away from from seeing Maurice Carnell probably. So we'll we'll see. But that is that was alarming when that happened. Um, other injuries that we saw tonight, man, there's so many guys that went down. They all seemed to get back up. I'm not sure there was anyone at the end of the game who hadn't come back in, but we saw. Dejon Allen went down, which was frightening. Aremelade went down, which was frightening. Like all these guys, Pickett went down, and that you know, that's a that's a heart attack. You uh, it was someone else went down. Oh, uh, Deshaun Amos went down as well with what looked like a pretty nasty elbow injury, and he made his way back. I think there's going to be yeah, a lot I of mean, guys. Allen, that, oh, you know, yeah. for Allen to gut that out, like if he's down on the ground, I mean, he's a tough guy. He's down on the ground. He, that's that's a high level of pain. Yeah. That's bringing a big man like that to his knees, and to and to basically get up and grind it out. I mean, it's pretty, you know, it's pretty impressive to watch. There's going to be a lot of guys not able to practice the first couple of days this week. Like, don't be surprised if on the injury report there are like seven or eight starters from this game who don't practice because they they were they you know they were tough today this was this was a more physical game than i was expecting this was a real rivalry game it felt very tie cats argos not in the sort of cheap shot chippiness that you sometimes see from those tie cat argos games this was just it was just physical it was pushing and shoving after the whistle but in the in in those plays like during the action guys were hit so hard i don't know if i've seen anyone hit Stanback as hard as Winton McManus hit Stanback twice to be able to send him <laughs> no. spinning to the ground. Crushed him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, you know, he is a force of nature out there. And McManus, uh, uh, was he the best player on defense tonight? McManus? I mean, he was, he was very, very good. I mean, he, he absolutely controlled the middle of the field. Stanback was a non-event, um, you know, hunting down the quarterback. Yeah. I, I mean, he was, he was very good. And they sort of used him as a middle backer. They keep listing him at will, his natural position. But the way that Mace had them lining up, it was usually him in the middle or a Rimalati in the middle. It was one of those two guys. And they used Jones more in a traditional will spot most of the time. So that was kind of interesting. And, and of course, when when Jones was kicked out of the game at the end, they didn't bring in Kassar, who is the back of middle linebacker. They instead sort of worked around it and... They had they had Hoyt, they had an extra DB, there were workarounds, and McManus still played that middle. So I think that sort of tells you, like, they view him until Williams or Mwamba come back. We're getting closer to those things happening. Probably Winter McManus, no matter what he's listed as, is really the middle linebacker. That pick he made uh, was a thing of beauty. Yeah. Those hands. No, right, exactly. Like, he stepped towards Stanbeck, and then he saw the eyes, and then he backed out, and then hands on. I mean, he, you know, he, 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 the defense is built around him and only it, it works. We can, they can play all those games because he has the middle of the field locked down. How does Toronto get Jared Brinkman back on the football field? He was missing tonight and a guy that you would have liked to have Montreal clearly trying to run. Like they, they had a lot more carries than they've had and more success than they've had in recent games running the football you would love to be able to send Brinkman out there. How do they find a way to get him on the field? Uh, I don't know. I mean, like, do you just have to sit Oakman sometimes and and to to dress Brinkman? Like, I, I I don't know. I don't know that there's a great way to do it otherwise. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to. I guess you just really have to kind of uh, hope that you can um, be be sort of game plan specific and really feel like okay we're gonna need this here um i would have thought bring i would have thought this would have been more a game for him um but oakman is I, I don't think you can take oakman off the field i really don't i know they did but i don't think you can i don't think you can do that to the football gods if you have 
you have a player of his skill and size you can't make him a you can't make him a a, a healthy scratch so I know, they have to they have to find some other solution yeah they do they need to they need to find a way where they can have Hendricks Brinkman and Oakman all on all, all dressed yeah. There just needs to be a way, and, and they've got to sort it out, whatever that means. They've got to move some pieces around. You need those three guys to be able to dress because they're all so good. Hendricks, Hendricks is, is the best of the three of them. Oakman is right there, though, and Brinkman it was, was like a, a Grey Cup hero. Like he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a guy. Like he's not just a piece they no, put I, in. No, I agree. They have to sit down and shuffle stuff around and, you know, take, take a hit somewhere else from your optimal lineup to get that optimal lineup in. Yeah, I agree. All right, JB, let's get into our uh, plays of the game, players of the game. Why don't we start with player of the game? So a lot of potential candidates here, probably more on offense than the defensive side of the ball. Who is your player of the game uh, for for this one? Uh, I'm going to give it to Olette. I thought he really got the offense going in the second half, got the team going in the second half, and then eventually Kelly really kind of fired it up in the fourth quarter. But I thought Olet's big runs um, are demoralizing to your opponent, um, feeds the Argos. I thought he's, you know, he's been close to my player of the game a couple of times. I thought he was, you know, fantastic tonight and, and really kind of, shot some adrenaline into that team in the second half to be like let's you know let's let's win this damn game like i know we're the better team but we need to go out and win this game and and i thought his runs um fed that because they were so you know so <clears throat> embarrassing to the montreal defense i mean you know like in, in to you know to just use that word it, it you you really are destroying the will of your opponent when you're able to run for 15 20 25 yards yeah and i think he ended up with like eight yards of carry a little over that by the yeah, end of the he, game yeah they needed it he the, you know it, they weren't they kind of were dopey in the first half and he came out in the second half and uh I, I thought to me like watching the game on tv he he was the player that that turned the team around and I, I think he also did a nice job blocking on some of those two back sets they had where Harris had that one 13-yard carry that Harris had. A.J. Olette is right out there blocking for him and just, you know, plowing people into the into the ground on his way. So that, yeah, all around, I think A.J. had a, a great game. And they took away one of his best plays of the night, which would have been one of those highlights that you see all year long. Yeah, exa- I know. Oh, it but, was so uh, painful. Know. I know, so disappointing. It would have been the, it would have been the perfect capper. It would have put him over a hundred. The you know the the jump, everything about it was was who he's been this year. So yeah, I you know if, if with that play, there's probably no debate him being player of the game. My player of the game, I I want to shout out David Unger because I thought he had a great game, two touchdown performance, four catches on four targets for seventy two yards. Great effort. But I can't not give it to Chad Kelly. His numbers are his numbers are amazing. 84% completion, 21 of 25 for 351, three touchdowns. The interception you'd like to forget, but I think we can forgive that with all else that happened here. He just he found a way to lead the team up and down the field, drive after drive, especially in the second half. He had that great first half opening drive. Drove the team really well in the second half opening drive, and then just seemed to, seemingly scored on on like almost every possession in the second half. So so he gets my my player of the game. Yeah, he was he was everything you would hope for. Uh, where do you go for your play of the game, JB? Uh, I, I think you know the couple of big standout plays. I mean, the game was still up in the arms, and you know till till the very end. I I thought the the sack by Oakman and, uh, you know, with an assist from Ormolade, um really iced it. It was a huge sack. Um, Montreal probably should have punted there, but to to push them back 10 yards, um, to bring an end to that drive uh, and to kind of ice the game. I know they, I know they got another drive and I don't know how that, you know, it should have, the field goal should have iced it all, but 
at the moment, I thought that play was was massive. You know, he had been so hard to get to ground, and it was great to watch Oakman like go full Hulk mode and just drive that offensive lineman like six yards back into the quarterback. Yeah, he does that. Every so often there's a play like that. There was one last year. It may have actually been against Sirocco for Ottawa, but I remember he like walked uh, one of the Ottawa linemen <laughs> yeah, back I mean. and like hit the quarterback with him. <laughs> that's essentially right. He's like, well, I'm coming. And the offensive line's like, okay, I guess I'm coming too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was like that was a, a half a sack for the, for the offensive lineman trying to block him. Uh, my play of the game... Uh, it's. I feel like it's a bit of a cop out because it's not really a turning point or anything like that. But the coaxy touchdown catch, I think I want to go to just because of what a highlight it was. It's. It was a big play too because if that's not a catch, that's a field goal instead. It was. It was second down and eight. I think they were in field goal range, but but it would have been a, a three point play instead of a seven point play. But the way in which he did it to be able to go out, extend, grab that ball, it's. It's one that you'll see for a long time. It was it was like one of those SJ Green highlight touchdowns that you see every time TSN's doing one of their 100 best plays of all time or you know 50 best plays in CFL history. This is going to be on all of those lists. That catch was he was just so far extended and the situation and everything else going on um, at that moment in a tie game uh fourth quarter that uh that's got to be up there so yeah it was a, a massive moment so that's that's my play of the game well jb we're going to uh start wrapping some things up here argos have a full week rest and next week they are at tim horton's field to take on the tiger cats we'll get you set for that midweek our podcast probably coming out tuesday as we get a chance to set in on a, a couple of practices and you're going to start making your way out east because you have okay. got to make it in time for the halifax extravaganza one that i'm, I'm sure you're pretty excited about i will I, I may even attend some of the rough rider parties uh, incognito <laughs> to report back on what's happening there I want you in full Argo gear for those events. <laughs> no, those, I don't want, no. No, incognito, I think, was, was what I said and what I meant. That will just about do it for us on this uh, post-game reaction podcast. The Argos win 35-27 over the Montreal Alouettes. For JB, this is Ben Grant saying so long, and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones. I'll see ya. Fight the foe, foe.